0: Hello, and welcome to Be the Serpent, a podcast of extremely deep literary merit, with your classy and sophisticated hosts, Alexandra Rowland, Freya Mask, and Jennifer Mace. On today's episode, we're discussing the sea drama version of Hikaru no Go, the film Jumanji Into the Jungle, and the fanfic You Wait and You Wonder Who'll Take on Your Odds by Paperclip Bitch.
1: and welcome to episode 87, Let the Games Begin. I'm Alex, and I'm the Illimat one. I'm Freya, and I'm the Trivial
2: Pursuit one. I'm Macy, and I am Ticket to Ride. We are three redheaded fantasy
0: authors.
1: And today we're getting a little bit competitive. We're talking about board games and sort of board adjacent games. This is gonna be good fun times, I feel like. Mm -hmm. Macy, did you have a face that you were making there? Mm. Like, and
2: of all of them i guess all of them are board games i don't know games, i feel like i don't Jesus. think of go
0: as being a board game it's played it's it's literally played on a board A board is a very that. important part of go i understand that but <laughs> it's all right well i think i have I want to have a conversation later about the semantics of this. So all right. let's save it for let's not...
1: Yes. Before, before we get into all of that, fellow serpents, what have we been
0: reading? I have been reading, as usual, a variety of genres. Um, I spent mm-hmm. through a rom-com which is being brought out later in this year. It's called The Charm Offensive by Alison Cochran. Mm. And this is an MM romance about a bachelor on a bachelor TV show. Falling in love with his producer. Nice. <laughs> Amazing. This sounds familiar. Yes. It's a very fun setup. It's got a lovely cast. And of the two leads, one of them has OCD and panic disorder and anxiety. And the other has depression. And there's some nice sort of conversations around what it means to be demisexual and on the ace spectrum. And the <laughs> sporting cast is really fun. It's like a you know queer found family. So that was really a good, enjoyable read. I also read a thriller which has just come out it's called the last that's a little different yeah i picked it up because i've been trying to get a little bit more into horror and this Mm -hmm. writer katrina ward had been mentioned to me as someone who writes literary horror Mm -hmm. so this book is called the last house on needless street after reading it i think it is more of a psychological thriller than horror though it does have some Mm -hmm. horror aspects uh, I found it a really interesting read. It's the kind of thing you can't really talk about without spoiling the central conceit. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it is about a man who lives in the last house on this street called Needless Street. And the three narrators are him, uh, his daughter who lives with him sometimes, and his cat.
1: Oh. And the
0: chapters <laughs> narrated by the cat were Fantastic. Uh, but there's also you know the disappearance of plenty of girls in that area and a young woman who moves into the house next door because she's convinced this man was involved in the disappearance of her younger sister Mm. years and Mm. years ago so Mm -hmm. there's lots of twists and obscurities and i found it a really interesting read but i probably yeah would describe it more as a psychological thriller than an out and out horror
1: my immediate Mm. prediction is that the cat ate them the girls who disappeared Cats do don't, that. Cats, that's the thing that cats do. It is a do thing do that cats do. Don't tell me if I'm women. right. Don't tell me. Don't spoil me. But that's my guess, right? <laughs> no com- no up. comment on
0: whether that is actually what happens in the book. Uh, and speaking of animals and creepy places and forests, I also read mm-hmm. The Wolf and the Woodsman by Ava Reed. This is a dark fantasy which is also coming out quite soon. Uh, and it is... What I would say is if you enjoyed especially uprooted and spinning silver in that tradition mm. of sort of very heavily Jewish fantasy with really lyrical writing and interesting characters and that real rich fairy tale feel then you'll probably like this. At least the first half is very much you know we are in a dark fairy tale forest, there are monsters uh, but the, the, the central idea of it is that there is a young woman who lives in a village And she is the only young woman in that village who doesn't have magic. And so when the woodsmen, who are a group of soldiers, come to collect the tithe from the village, which is always one of the girls who can do magic, the villagers lie and pretend that she is a seer and then essentially just kick her out to be taken away (laughs) as the sacrifice. (laughs) Mm. (laughs) Not with her consent. But... Then monsters attack, and she and the captain of the woodsman are the only two left alive. And they have to rely on each other to get back to the capital, where there's politics and other fantasy things. But the first half, at least, is very much enemies to lovers in a dark fairy tale wood with really creepy monsters. Very atmospheric. So I think yeah. I think both of you would enjoy this. Very good. It also has kneeling, like a oh. tortured man overcome with desire and uh-huh. agony kneeling it's very good wonderful we love that
2: macy has read a couple of books this past fortnight um i read all the murmuring bones by ag slatter which is a gothic and also a fairy tale tapestry with mermaids Mm. and it is a gothic with at least two gothic houses i think we figured there might be as many as three gothic houses And lots of murder and a secret twisted family past and like an incest family tree. You know, the kind of family tree that's like, like when you cut willow and you tie it together with moss Recursive. so that it joins back together yeah. again. Yeah, like mm-hmm. a family tree that does that, like, like makes little diamond that, that's shapes. That's not which what you want a family
0: th- tree to do. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's
0: gothic, Freya.
2: It's oh yeah, gothic. it's that's very how gothic, they work.
0: Yeah it's very gothic
2: and yes lots of really horrible things happen to this young lady but she is very good at being a protagonist Mm. like she's really good at it so it's great and it's beautiful writing really really gorgeous and lyrical and lots of littler like fairy stories kind of knit throughout so i really enjoyed that one i then read a novella by my uh friend caitlin starling yellow jessamine which is a poison noble woman who always wears a veil Mm. because she is mourning for her dead family um who lives in this dying city on the edge of an empire that's been in rebellion and been claimed by the pure aesthetic just pure aesthetic all the way down pure (laughs) aesthetic pure pure aesthetic and she is a very troubled woman and we and very paranoid and ends up kind of doing herself more harm than anything mm. but there is an ff romance with her dedicated maid servant um and lots of creepy plant body horror mm. Unexpectedly, which I was very into, somebody has their larynx replaced by flowers. Oh, this is um, just so
0: you. It's very you. It does <laughs> sound like a nicer. very you book. Yes.
2: <laughs> it's very me. It's also very self contained. I was very impressed by how much exists in it. Anyway, that's great. Yellow Jessamine, everyone. I then also, on Monday night, um started a new Persona 5 fanfiction called Marigolds which is a time travel fix-it in which the bad boy villain who was kind of tricked into it all along gets to go back in time and try to fix canon, mm. which we love. Um, it's I'm two chapters from the end out of 52 chapters. The entire thing is 470,000 words long, and I started it on Monday. Amazing. So <laughs>
1: that's
0: how- I feel like your reading for this week is just so <laughs> characteristic of you. Yeah, it's, it's, its like... Way. <sighs>
1: purely on uh, brand yes i just yeah good job macy and today you there went I to go. a moss garden just as like and today ch- i went just as the cherry yeah. on top of like an extremely on-brand week for macy
2: it was great there were so many types of moss and you they all like <laughs> melded into each other and it was very picturesque and we got rained on and it was great And in another was... month
0: macy will appear in front of us on camera with Strange green patches. Strange green things. Yes. Uh,
2: Yeah, it's gonna be great. I'm gonna become one with the forest. They actually run a writer's like a residence retreat, and you live in a a cottage in the moss garden. That sounds like like you will become one with the moss. I'm literally going to apply. It's gonna be great. I wish you the best.
1: I genuinely, like, sincerely wish you the best.
2: I'm gonna come back and apologize to my agent, and I'm never writing anything except poems about lichen again.
1: (laughs) Okay rest in peace Kristen <laughs> it's fine it's fine it she'll be fine I have a surprise for you guys I read a book oh, this God. week dun, dun 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 or rather I listened to a book this week because oh, I started... okay now
2: that makes more sense
1: I know uh I started knitting a new project uh, a friend right, of mine that's my... what you do when you knit right right uh, a friend of mine sent me a couple balls of lace weight yarn uh <laughs> So I have, oh of course, no. of course, I had to. Alex, start what have you done? <laughs> knitting. A, what have you committed? I started knitting a lace shawl, and I needed oh uh, something to listen to. <laughs> so I listened to "The Shepherd's Crown" by Terry Pratchett, which is the very, very last Discworld book, mm-hmm. um, which was published, uh, published uh, posthumously, and it begins with the death of Granny Weatherwax. It's a Tiffany no. Aching book. Yeah, I'm not going to tell Sorry. you anything else, but like, it choked me the fuck up. It choked me the fuck up and, like, it is full of, like, just poignant feelings and it's about Tiffany kind of, like, inheriting uh, Granny Weatherwax's studying and, like, learning how to rely on other people and ask for help and, like, be part of a community instead of just, like, a witch on her own. And I got choked up at many, many points of this book and it's way too emotions and feelings for me to even deal with um amazing and mostly what i spent most of of this week doing was binging the last 30 episodes <laughs> of the hikaru no go drama for this episode i think you guys told me like you don't have to watch the whole thing but i watched the whole thing because it contains the perfect your boy, your perfect boy my perfect yes. alex's boy, perfect boy which we're going to talk about
2: extensively later in the episode yeah, i i have a sense that this may be the case it, darling listeners <laughs> darling listeners i must inform you that we are going to talk about this at length and unlike the bushfires all of it will make it into the final episode because, because I'm Alex the is in charge of the editing because
1: I'm the editor yes Alex
2: <laughs> even has the power to secretly go back when we're not paying and, attention and, and add, add more gushing <laughs> about the perfect boy so um dear listeners I love you very much. I hope you're still with us by the end. Godspeed. It's going to be good. It's going to be fine.
1: (laughs) But before we get into the actual episode, we do have one quick announcement for you. It is episode 87, and as is tradition with the episodes ending in 7, we are soliciting questions for the episode 80, sorry, episode 90, extravaganza. Yes, 90. 90. How the fuck did this happen? We're old. We are going to be recording that on Friday, June 18th at approximately, like, 9 o'clock Eastern Time, PM. Uh, so,
2: so make sure your pigeon is speedy if you send it on do that Do not
1: send it by pigeon. Do not send it as iTunes Alex, review. Alex,
2: I just really want one by pigeon at one point. In this i don't think any of
1: our dear listeners own pigeons dear listeners if one of you owns pigeons let us know send us pictures of your pigeons we would actually sincerely love <laughs> to see your pigeon amazing. um please send us your questions for the episode 90 extravaganza through email or not pigeon or a <laughs> Look, twitter opened, dm i'm open to
0: a picture of someone's pigeon that has the message the question attached
1: Oh, there you go. There you go. You could like tape the message on your pigeon and then take a photo of it and then tweet it at us. That would be 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 perfect. You're going to tweet it because it's a pigeon. You're going to tweet it at us because it's a pigeon. Did you get my joke?
2: There we go. Dear listeners, we will take any and all questions that come to us attached to a bird that you
1: own. Sure. Yes. Actually, and yes. did not
2: like randomly grab off the street because that is mean.
1: Actually, yes. If you own like a cockatiel or something, you could like tape your question to your cockatiel and send us a picture of that. That would <laughs> also Poor be fine. Bird. Should we have <laughs> we a episode? Should no. we have a fucking no. episode? No.
2: <laughs> I want someone to teach their parrot how to ask. A oh, question. we're just going oh yes. to <laughs> keep talking about <laughs> birds. We're just going to keep talking about birds <laughs> for the whole this, episode.
1: Fuckin' this, <laughs> Freya. Tell us the about anything. <laughs> Are we sure, we Macy. don't have time on the
0: birds extravaganza <laughs> that is going to be episode 90?
1: I shouldn't have mentioned birds. I forgot how much Macy loves birds because we were talking about how much Macy loves moss, but Macy also really loves birds. Freya, tell us about a fanfic. <laughs> All, right. All right. Wrench the episode away from Macy. Aww. In fairness, um.
2: the fanfic is Macy's fault too.
0: Yes, but in a more Episode
2: Acceptable appropriate way. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Alright, our first tentpole for the episode is a fanfic called You Wait and You Wonder Who Will Take On Your Odds by Paperclip Bitch. This is a fanfic for the Netflix series The Queen's Gambit, mm. which if you are not familiar with it, it was sort of all over Netflix quite recently. Mm-hmm. Is a limited series which follows a young woman called Beth Harmon, who is an orphan who becomes a chess master. And it's set during the 1950s and 1960s, mostly in America, but she does travel a little bit. And I had to watch the series before I read the read <laughs> this particular uh, fanfic, because the fanfic is set after the series, and it follows what happens next for Beth. But at the heart of it is an arranged fake marriage, which yeah! I <laughs> love. So for Publicity reasons, because she is a young single woman in the public eye Mm. and is told that she needs to clean up her act in that everyone is assuming that she is sleeping with all of the other chess players, which to be fair, she kind of is.
2: (laughs) A little bit. (laughs) Bit. she's doing a little bit of the like black widow chew them up thing i think through the series yeah
0: yeah so she and one of her many chess harem of young men who is a young man <laughs> by the name of benny watts who wears a cowboy a hat, hat everywhere yeah.
2: and a terrible mustache if i had a terrible
0: mustache i think it's just because nobody believes that this actor is a grown-up and
2: Amazing. he had to
0: grow some facial hair <laughs> in order to have to be taken seriously but He's a fantastic character in the series and they decide to enter into a marriage of convenience, which they'll pretend is a real marriage, uh, in order for Beth to be taken more seriously. And obviously, there are feelings.
2: There are feelings. Well, specifically, um, Beth... Making a living as a professional chess player, if you're trying to only make a living off of your winnings, is pretty damn difficult. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that Beth does to make a living is she has segments on TV shows where she does these cool chess moves and impresses people. And so she is somewhat more dependent on the goodwill of media corporations and thus needs to have an image that works for them as this, you know... uh, wunderkind but also like squeaky clean,
1: yeah, young mm. woman. Because it's the nineteen sixties, and that's how it exists. Yeah, sexist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like her contract yep. with the TV studio has like a morality clause in it, and all sorts of stuff. So, so this fic is very long,
0: and it does focus on the romance between them and the way that their feelings grow and change throughout this fake marriage. But it also, obviously, has a lot of chess in mm-hmm. it. Just a little bit. Just, a little, <laughs> bit, just, a, of just a, a little bit of little chess, bit. and a lot of detail. It's clearly very well researched in terms of the games that are described, the kinds of tournaments that there are, <laughs> and it really continues the series' approach to chess, which is that if you love it, you love it, if you get it, you get it. It is the kind of thing that can absorb your entire being and your entire life.
2: Yeah. Which again will echo, I think, with the next tent pole. But mm. um, yes. I think one of the things that really drew me to this is that the people in this do study chess they don't just play chess games they don't just play against each other they sit down they read these magazines they pour over articles written in languages they can't even read There's like someone with a cyrillic dictionary going what the fuck is this letter i can't tell what this russian chess master did because i can't read this alphabet mm-hmm. uh, and i really love that because um it takes i think that this is one of the things we see in media where the game is one of the driving engines for the characters mm. is that there's also this sense of study and leveling up a uh, little bit in a shonen anime how you would have the practicing shooting tennis through a I don't know, through a goldfish hoop because they always have very silly training exercises
1: yeah, mm. yeah and the other thing that really impressed me as well is how it drew – how this fic drew chess not only into, like, what it was about and what it was depicting, but it also used chess to represent this whole metaphor of a relationship, right? Because mm-hmm. they start out saying, like, oh, this marriage is castling, right? It's a way to, like, save yourself from an impossible situation. Mm-hmm. And over the course of the the fic, it becomes – like the lesson that the main character has to learn is that it's not a competition like this marriage. Like they can take turns being the person who is saved and the person mm-hmm. who is doing the saving. Like it's not just a, a one way thing. So multi-layered metaphors. Yeah, it's the
2: the, the culmination of a lot of game based narratives is this realization that the game is a partnership, not a yeah. competition. Yeah. Right? I mean, it's also a competition, but you don't want to just flat out win it when it's terrible either. A lot mm. of these players just don't want to, to to have a terrible game, even if it's a terrible game that they won.
1: Right. You'd rather mm. play, play a beautiful game, even if you lose. A game that you or can a, be proud like, of. an
2: exciting game yeah. or a, a novel game. And that's one of the things that, with these two sort of slowly being able to play against each other, but also remain... Also maintain this relationship because that's mm. one of the things in the middle when they're very torn up about what they are to each other. Yeah, they completely fuck up a professional game. Yeah, yeah because was, they're like, too turned on.
1: <laughs> <laughs> they're well, they're not. Not only it? they're too turned on, but they're too like struggling for control. Right, mm. and and so like it. By struggling against each other to figure out who's going to win the match, they f- are like, it's a metaphor of how they're struggling for control in the relationship because mm-hmm. neither of them really feels like they're in control at that time. Mm-hmm. Mm.
0: And it's, it's a portrayal of two people who would not fall in love with somebody who didn't share this obsession. Yeah. <laughs> because chess is so important to both of these characters. You can't imagine that they would be happy in a relationship with somebody who wasn't prepared to like stay up until 3am, pouring over Cyrillic games and having a discussion about it, but the story itself is the journey to learn if you are if your entire being is about yeah a competitive game, mm-hmm. can you actually exist in a relationship of equals without constantly feeling conflict? Yeah because yes. you're based your life around conflict, even if it is just a simulated conflict on on a board. Yes, and another thing I really liked about both this and the series is that, It does the thing that I think a lot of game and sports-based narratives does that really hooks you into a character immediately. And it says, there is some systemic reason why this person should not be playing this game. As per the society in which they exist. Mm. And so you see Beth living in this world, drenched in institutional sexism, fighting for what she wants and to be the best. And even if we knew nothing else about her character, the fact that she is able to be triumphant and to be Mm -hmm. the best is very satisfying on a narrative level because there was that gatekeeping and that barrier Mm -hmm. to you, you, you the individual character should not play this. And I think we see that a lot in in game-based narrative.
2: Right, right. It's the competence porn aspect, but it's also, you know, rooting for the underdog.
1: Yeah. Did Freya want to uh, have a corner to yell about her feelings about Chess the musical? <laughs> and Lyman? <laughs> and Lyman? Well, this
0: is a shorthand for Freya just has a lot of feelings about why Chess itself is such mm. a narrative tool and it appears so often. And I actually went and had a look in TV Tropes to find out what it says about Chess And it has quite a few things there, like (laughs) smart people play chess and Uh... the chess master and live chess, which is a thing in one of the Lyman books. It's one of the most uh, iconic scenes in Mm. the Lyman book is that it's a game of chess between Lyman and the primary antagonist using real people who will then be killed (gasps) when their pieces are taken. Gasp. And it's such a perfect supervillain moment yeah in that you're showing these people are intellectual equals because they both play chess in the you know professor x and magneto kind of way yeah they are each other's intellectual equals they both play chess but one of them is in it for death reasons whereas lyman the fact that he plays chess is something that's just you know another aspect of his character Yeah, it's another way that you know that this is this sort of perfect intellectual everyman. You're right. In the same way that he's a wonderful sword fighter and he's a wonderful chess player and he can sing and he can play all the music and speak all the languages.
2: But it's also, I mean, coming back to the institutional sexism again, it's, you know, smart characters play chess, but also Mm. women don't really play chess and... Our mm. yes, their really poor smart little, characters. their poor little
0: feminine brains are not actually up to the task of something yeah. so rigorous. and you see
2: this, yeah, right. And I'm just uh, angry. Yeah. It. Well, um, it's true.
0: I mean, chess itself, and this is all right. Bring it back to my feelings about chess, the musical. Uh huh. There is something about it that lends itself to fiction in a very odd way for something that is so interior and quiet. Mm. And so, chess the musical is about the chess championships between Russia and. America at the height of the Cold War. So again, right. like Queens Gambit, a bit it is about politics, mm. and the chess is always a metaphor. But it right. is also a group of intense chess nerds getting together and singing about their feelings about chess, <laughs> sure. while some people dressed in black and white dance and show you the chess game. <laughs> it's a good uh, musical. It's a good okay. musical. I read really a good like musical.
1: Brant,
2: I think that chess is such a strong source of metaphor in western fiction mm. right um it gets used again and again and even the pieces are all metaphors they're yes. all metaphors for you know pieces on a courtly board
1: yeah right? and they uh, are, that a king that king
2: arthur might have access
0: to who is the queen who are your knights mm. yeah and it's and it's a kind of metaphor that is very based in the western tradition of fantasy Right. Where do you find kings and queens and knights and castles and, and bishops, bishops and yes. battles these days? You find them in, in fantasy novels.
2: Did you guys see the picture of the queen, giggling? the queen of England giggling in a cathedral, standing on a black square with a oh, bishop standing next to her on a yes. white square going, you can't get me! Yes, I did see that. <laughs> I don't think that she was the one who made that meme, but I appreciated <laughs> that
0: meme. <laughs>
1: Shall we move on to talking about a perfect boy? Ah, all right. Well, how
0: about uh, Macy and I go and make a cup of tea and we'll come back in five minutes. (laughs) (laughs) That (laughs) sounds (laughs) fine. Alex will probably be mid rant about the perfection of this boy's eyeliner, possibly?
2: Eyeliner. Eyeliner and hat and the hair. Yes. I'm going to go with the hair. Also the robes. The robes. And the way that he pouts.
1: The whip. See, good job. Alex for me. (laughs) Macy Macy, like condensed my whole rant into like a handful of words. I'm so proud. Thank you for saving me all that. So the next uh, tentpole that we're talking about today, dear listeners, is the Hikaru no Go live action Chinese drama, which came out last year uh, or early this year. What is linear time? Uh, This is uh, obviously like an adaptation of the anime Hikaru no Go, uh, which came out like back in ages ago uh a million years ago (laughs) yeah Uh, I I Macy watched like tons and tons and tons of that and loved it uh I when I was a tiny baby teenager watched about like a handful of episodes up until the episode where Psy the like cool go ghost who like haunts this chessboard and is like wildly passionate about go and like adorable uh just like leaves again and is gone and i was like wait he's not in this anime anymore well i'm gonna stop watching it because he's my favorite (laughs) character once again in this show he is my favorite character yeah but fortunately in this one one one, in this one he left no one's surprised in this one he lasts all the way up until almost the end uh and then i got like super super choked up when he left again but that's kind of how it has to be. So this is about tell a... About this y- show. I'm going to tell you about the show and not just talk about the perfect boy. Uh, uh-huh. So this is a show about a young man <laughs> named Shiguang uh, who discovers this chessboard in his grandfather's attic and gets a ghost friend who is the perfect boy uh, who <laughs> has been haunting this chessboard for like a thousand years and who has been ghost friends with other people in the past uh and he is like the greatest Go player that has ever lived ever uh young, and he teaches Go to this to Shiguang and Shiguang goes and acquires a cool rival uh and (laughs) falls in love with Go and it's really about like what this game means to shiguang and kind of like learning to love go for its own sake rather than learning to love go just because it connects him to his ghost friend Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Mm.
0: yeah but also like the fanfic it's about embroiling yourself in a community of people
2: with Mm -hmm. a very
0: niche interest
2: yes and a very niche it's an obsession not an interest like this is their
1: lives oh yeah and reading the fanfic comparing that to this tentpole they're very 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 similar because you have like you said the the arc right you have the the studying you have the rivalry as romance trope um you have this they're thing married. where like they they are married and like the last episode of, of this drama is like just a lot of like soft domestic marriage counseling and there's only one bed <laughs> and i'm not even kidding about that uh, yes. And you must live together
0: to make your playing together better. And, right. then, oh you pl- and then you as a team will play against Pair the other two couples at various stages in uh, their couples career girl. careers. <laughs> so you can see your future. I've been
2: blessed. So, uh, d- dear listeners, I am about 10 episodes through because I lost the ability to watch, to watch television. Things. I'm yeah. trying. And I really want to get through this one because I love them so much. I love their tiny little faces.
1: Yes. at the beginning
2: because they have child actors for the beginning and they very made cute. um i will get them all wrong can uh, just the say Toya clear. akira yeah yeah the toya akira actor in the beginning looked like a tiny awkward alien baby and then he <laughs> cries so and i
0: died he's very cute i mean the casting for them as young adults is also very yes. good
1: mm. yes yes
2: and also Ni Song is in this.
1: Nihui Sang yes. is in this, I noticed, yes. Um, and He's of like course Chuyang is perfect and has and has these beautiful robes and and this very tall perfect hat and long flowing hair oh, yes. and a fan he is
2: inexplicably cough for sponsorship reasons dressed in Japanese Heian era high nobility clothing
1: well they they had to they had to keep him recognizable to the audience yes exactly point is point is his <laughs> eyeliner is perfect you I, I can't I don't remember what he was wearing because I was only looking at his beautiful eyeshadow the entire time Uh, That's not the point, though. The point is passion and,
2: yes. So so the point of this is um, one of those hilarious, uh, tangled, mistaken identity slash, like, concealed identity Mm. canons, wherein the go-playing ghost traumatizes the young boy genius um, when he is very small, and the young boy genius does not know that there is a go-playing ghost and just sees this tiny, chubby, disrespectful boy opposite him who is somehow better than he is and immediately dedicates his entire life to beating this rival and is deeply disappointed when the rival turns out to just be a boy who is still learning.
0: Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. it's an interesting arc to follow in that it is the classic you have rivals, you get better, you level up arc. But because of the existence of the ghost, it has some very different beats and some different paths that it follows. Because it's not like, oh, I came across a chessboard and I started playing it and I was instantly in love, which is what happens in Queen's Gambit. It's this external force who is following me around, really wants me to play this game, is playing it for me, and... It takes a very long time for him right. to, number one, be able to play
1: mm-hmm. on yeah. his own
0: merit yeah. and to enjoy playing on his own merit. And right. so the to fight for it. Because he has to fight
2: it. for even, it's basically like being able to have a voice on the board at all. He has yep. to fight for that. Yep. Because the ghost is always right there saying, Let me play, let me play.
1: You know? You could do this. What if you tried this instead? Yes, yeah. yes, yes,
0: yes. Yeah, so he doesn't have the institutional gatekeeping, although he has plenty of people around him who are like, this doesn't seem like a viable career path. Which, <laughs> which they fair are. Fair enough. <laughs> that's a very fair point, actually. <laughs> they are
2: valid. His mother is. The gatekeeper is, is the valid. person who
0: is attempting to play for him.
2: Yeah, yeah. yeah. Which, yeah. yeah. So yeah. it's a fun, speculative um, game mm. medium.
0: Yeah. But yeah. I think the reason why we did pick these is because they share that similarity of, even though they are about games in quotation marks and board mm-hmm, games mm-hmm. these are ones which are not considered childish so the expectation right. around both go and chess is that they are adult pursuits that you grow into them rather than growing mm-hmm. out of them mm-hmm. there
2: is a universe in your Go Ban, yep. right and that's a metaphor that they uh, they did somewhat more with in the japanese anime but they do bring back in this one as well is sometimes when they get into a particularly intense game they will take the screen away, take the setting away and expand it into a galaxy instead.
1: Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm.
2: And I think that this is what you see in all of these military tacticians in the real world who will study Go games and say, you know, this is how you learn how to be uh, a warrior, how yep. to fight and have tactics. Yeah. yeah. And, and I'm mm-hmm. sitting here like, I don't think Alexander the Great played Go.
1: Well, probably maybe? not Go, but other, other war games. And we can get yeah. into that a, mm-hmm. a little bit later. And this, and this idea um, that,
0: yeah, games exist they may have had their origins in something that had real-world applications.
1: Yeah. And right. now
0: they are an intellectual exercise or a hobby that you play through for fun or a sport or a career that you can make mm-hmm. money from. Uh, but At their root, they may have been something that had real-world applications because the idea of a leisure activity that has no purpose in and of itself is something that we're still a bit uncomfortable with.
1: Going off of, of what you said about purpose, like, like the one purpose that – games or sports have in society is like, it's kind of the only objective way to like measure yourself and your skills against someone else. Because like, there's not really a context where that can be quantified in like regular day-to-day life right Everybody's sort of on the same level and you're either good or not unless you're like unless you're one of
0: those like stock traders who's like this is a game the money's just a way
1: of keeping score right exactly and so like with the sports narratives like it comes into this like like going back to what i said about rivalry as romance right like you're yearning for the person who can bring out the best in you and the person Mm -hmm. who can match Mm -hmm. you in some way and so your rival does become sort of a romantic partner because of how invested you are in this relationship,
2: but I think there's also a thing, and we saw this in the chess piece uh, previously as well, where you might beat someone today, but you might not tomorrow. Right? Like right? there is no actual definitive ranking because there's so much more that goes into this. Because what happens on the board is really a reflection of you as a person. And right. As people, we're malleable.
1: Yes. Right? And like there can be external factors and and other things going on in your life that are going to affect your game. Absolutely. Quote unquote objective. Yeah.
0: And it's the process that makes you a better person, Mm -hmm. not the victory. Right. And that's Mm -hmm. a very sports anime thing. And (laughs) and look, Hikaru no Go, as an anime, and also this drama, is exceedingly sports anime in its structure. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And and that's the point, like, you wouldn't have a rival character who one of them comprehensively becomes the better one.
1: Right. The whole point right. is
0: that they grow and change by challenging each other. Because
1: if one of them ever did become the better, then it would be leaving the other one behind, and that would be inherently tragic in some way. Right. Um, Shall we move on to the next one? But before we do, I have one more comment. Maybe the real divine move was the friendships we made along we the made way. Along the way, yeah, Macy yeah. take it yeah. I'm
2: surprised you haven't quoted your favorite Japanese word yet.
1: Which one? Oh, what Makoto? Essay about? <laughs> yes. Makoto, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, so do okay. We don't need to get into that There we again? go. <laughs> Tell so us about Jumanji. <laughs>
2: Complete c- 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 combo breaker. Yes. Uh, let's talk about something different. Let's talk about going inside a game. Yay. Let's call Let's talk about being trapped and kidnapped and made to explode with cake? Question mark. Question mark. Uh, let's talk about the recent-ish remake of Jumanji, which Yay. has feels like it has, should have an exclamation mark after, but doesn't. Um, mm. In which. Four earnest teenagers get sucked into a video game where they are forced to fight for their lives against spinny blade things and murderous albino rhinoceri?
1: Question By spinny blade things, do you mean helicopters? No, no, like booby trap
0: blade things.
1: Oh yeah, those spinny blade blade things. things. You're right, you're right, you're right. There were 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 many spinny blades. Many many (laughs) many (laughs) different kinds of spinny blades.
2: Yeah. And, like, run away from cheetahs and learn how football tactics work.
0: Yep. So before we get into a a discussion of this particular movie, Uh have you both watched the original Jumanji?
1: No. I watched it, like, years and years ago, and I recall it vaguely. See, I saw it when I was probably
0: just a smidgen too young for it, and it Uh. terrified me. (gasps) Oh, no! Oh, no! (laughs) Yeah, and there's something about it, I think, comparing it to the remake – I found the remake to be funnier and sharper, but also a bit Mm. more toothless and less scary. And it's because Mm. it is video game violence that runs by video game rules. The The original Jumanji, it's a board game that people are playing. You don't get, initially you don't get sucked into it, although somebody has been sucked into it and they come out of the game. But playing the game in your house, in the real world, changes, changes things yeah. in your house. You roll something and they're like, the terrifying scene that I remember vividly as a tiny child was the stampede.
1: Mm. And
0: just things start to shake. And mm. like, you're looking around and you're like, where, where do you go to get out of the path of the stampede? And it's actually yeah. wreaking real havoc. Like the things that it's... you are doing are transforming into reality. And they're not big things, they're all things that could happen to you in the jungle. Like, they're all scary animals, or a person with a gun, or a stampede, or a horde of locusts or something, I can't remember all of them, but they are terrifying Mm. because they're all consistent with the Mm. game.
2: And they're all kind of superimposed onto your reality. And that uncanny valley makes it worse. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas our kids in this movie are just literally dropped into their characters. So they're in someone else's body in the middle of a jungle. Um, And, you know, they have powers. Like one of them has dance fighting uh, (laughs) and can like knock out goons when she's dancing with them. Which I'm like, what? Yes.
0: Yes. Yeah. Because I think (laughs) this, this movie is a commentary on video games. Right. It's not about, you know. Oh, it's a scary thing with a jungle. It's let's see what funny things happen if you really had to exist by video game rules.
2: And I think it's also um, it lost its teeth because nobody actually died. Uh, even the kid who was lost into the game twenty years ago didn't actually die. Yeah. Um, and so I don't. And I don't think it's, it's it's intending to be a kids' movie, but like it wasn't. Even as scary to me as Aladdin was. Yeah. Speaking of movies that traumatized tiny, mm. tiny serpents. <laughs>
1: yeah. Uh, j- Just to round it out, FYI, I was traumatized by E.T. Now we all know that. There we um, go. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. It didn't, yeah, because you didn't really get to see the stakes is why it wasn't, it wasn't scary. The stakes, like
2: in fact, all t- of the stakes got
1: defanged. Right, like you're told, mm. oh, here's the stakes, but then like they get evaded or, or averted in some way Mm, and And they say each time it feels progressively less scary and there is something
0: quite terrifying about you die in the game you die for real and the idea Mm -hmm. of having to face dangers that you never would but then because it's a video game you have extra lives and the tone of the movie makes it very obvious from minute one that nobody is actually going to die forever like this is still a family film
1: And so, like, it's a commentary on video games. It's also, to me, like, it felt very strongly about a commentary on D&D as well. Because, like, you have this... Like, you're in the game, but you're not in the game, right? Because, like, you it's are... It's not you. you. It's not you, except you are your character. Um, And when you die in d and a lot of times it can feel a little bit like dying in real life. Because, like, the emotional reactions are real. And, like, losing your character can feel... Like, I know people who have... Had their characters die in D and D, and have literally grieved that character for weeks, <laughs> sometimes. Um, and so, like, there is this this link between like you, the you of the real world versus the you in the game. Mm.
2: Right. it's the, the the RPG kind of approach? Right. Right. Yeah.
1: The and the video game that they're in is also structured like a progressive narrative board game.
2: Well, and it reminded me also of other examples of basically being trapped and kidnapped into Mm. this situation and particularly the gauntlet by karuna Viazi, which i was reading the other week Mm. but also the movie labyrinth Mm. right Mm. yeah which to my mind is in a way sarah proceeding through a board game Mm -hmm. yeah a lot of the puzzles and the challenges that she faces even though there is not literally a board game involved feel like that
0: yeah you have to solve it in order to get out Right. right
2: exactly mm. uh you have to solve the labyrinth you have to solve this that the other
0: yeah and i think that's mm. why like the basic use of a board game or a video game as a structure for a narrative works quite well because it creates obstacles and there are here are things that you have to solve and then you get very annoyed if the rules are changed and i'm thinking of yes. the first time i read uh through the looking glass which is the sequel mm. to alice oh, yeah, in wonderland yeah, yeah, yeah. which also has quite a strong chess theme she meets a lot of chess characters and the idea is she has to kind of play her way through the world. But because it's Wonderland, nothing (laughs) quite, nothing is happening the way it should because it's based on whimsy and nonsense rather than being based actually on the chess rules and that collision between something that is so structured and Lewis Carroll nonsense. I found very compelling as a child, but also very frustrating.
2: Mm, (laughs) I bet. And you know, I was just thinking a second ago that one of the things in common in the whole genre of sucked into the game is consent in the sense of the fae court.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: Okay. You consented without knowing what you were asking for. They clicked the thing on the video game and they turned it on and they picked their characters. Um, Sarah called for the Goblin King to come take away her brother. The kids in the gauntlet sat down with the board game and did the role that it asked them to mm-hmm. you know you consented but you didn't realize and now there is no way out yes
1: isn't that like powerful that's, that's
0: <laughs> yeah that's very cool and before we move on to like a more general discussion i will reiterate mm-hmm. the graphic novel series that i started reading oh called yes, die yeah. which is very much you get sucked into the game as a young person you didn't consent to that you didn't know the rules when you got in right. and it is very much high stakes you can die you can be damaged you will be trapped here and when you get mm. spat back out again <sighs> any damage that you took is still there <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah die is yeah, very yeah. dark but extremely good <laughs>
1: <laughs> moving on i think yeah. that we have a taxonomy to discuss yes yes I, I, I
0: put this one down as a taxonomy and then i found that there were more dot points than i thought so it's quite a lengthy yeah. taxonomy but it's a let's good discussion. let's try to flip through it fairly quickly yeah so basically yep. this is what do you use games for mm. in fiction mm-hmm. So mm. what, what are they actually useful when you have them there? And so the ones that came to mind for me initially were character based ones. So something mm. that you do as a bonding activity, like you'll see a found family or a spaceship crew or a group of friends playing cards or playing a board game. And it's it is in that sense really just something that you do when you're not you're having downtime. It's a bonding activity in leisure. It can be a flirting or foreplay activity. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Most definitely, especially because of what we were talking about with that idea of rivalry and tension and, right. you know, that struggle and that back and forth of power. Especially chess, but other games as well, can be used as a character note. If you mm. say, this person is a chess master, this person you know something enjoys playing chess, yep. you know something about them already. Yep. Yeah. Uh, I also think gambling, less uh-huh. so with chess, but especially with cards, uh, right. can be used and a conflict plot point. So literally playing a game for something with high stakes. So sure. Casino, ro- sure, sure. Casino Royale, that high stakes poker game for something that is integral to the plot. And the Lyman game of live chess, which is a you know integral plot point again. But you can also use it as a plot obstacle. So the mm-hmm. one that sprang to mind for me here was uh, the first Harry Potter book, Philosopher's Stone, where ch- a chess game is part of something you have to cross to get to a a thing. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm,
1: mm
0: -hmm.
2: I think there's a lot of ways that games can come up in fiction. They don't necessarily make them central, Mm -hmm. you know? I I think that in order to make them more central, there has to be higher stakes involved in them in some way Um, in the longer term. Like we were seeing with the characters of Shiguang and Yuliang and all of the rest in the Hiko No Go series. Uh, you dedicate your life, your you study this game and it really matters to you. Whereas Ron Weasley doesn't really dedicate his na- his his life to learning chess, mm-hmm. but it mm. will come up as an obstacle and a tool in his toolkit. Right. Yeah. I think so there's kind of taxonomies of like ways that the characters relate to this game. Is this a game that's meaningful and significant to them or is it not? Mm. Yeah. I think the
0: last two dot points are yours, Alex. Uh
1: yes. So the other two things that I uh, thought of for this taxonomy were games as a window on world building because the games that characters play in a text can give you a a really vivid sense of the world mm. building of the world like what that. is uh, <laughs> what is important to them what are they focusing on. Um, and I love doing things like that and seeing them. And then the other thing is that a game can be used as a teaching tool for a character, just as it can be used as a teaching tool in real life. Um, either they're teaching a skill like battle tactics or the game is being used to teach a virtue like patience or how to be graceful mm-hmm. in victory and defeat, which can be a very important note on a character arc. Um mm-hmm. And speaking of teaching tools, that brings us to a uh, fun facts history of games corner. Oh, uh, may I may I invite you into my corner? I have a small quiz for you two. Oh uh, God. it's it's only it's a very very short one. Which do you think is older, chess or go?
0: Define chess.
1: Yeah, chess, I like chess in... has going through a couple more variants. How d- define it however you want. Which do you think came first?
2: If we're defining it widely, then I might say chess.
1: Okay. Freya? I hate this kind of quiz because I'm- You don't have to answer. I don't have
0: knowledge. I don't like (laughs) guessing based on no knowledge.
1: You can (laughs) pass. This is a fun game, Alex. I'm sorry, it was a question. (laughs) Which do you think? No one's being graded on this. You're not gonna fail. Uh, Okay, actually Go is older by a significant amount. Go is approximately Mm -hmm. two and a half thousand years old. It is the longest Mm -hmm. continuously played board game in the world compared to chess, which uh, was invented roughly in the seventh century. So it's about uh, 1400 years old. These were both kind of used as teaching tools to teach battle tactics. Um, originally and developed into a hobby and a pastime from there Uh, and the other sort of big war game that derived from chess was uh, Kriegspiel which was played by a bunch of in like the uh, 18th century 18th and 19th century by a bunch of young German uh, officers in training and Kriegspiel is the beginning of RPGs it's kind of like the 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 granddaddy of tabletop role playing games because it had a map and it had two different teams and it had crucially a referee. And whenever you wanted to move your your troops around, you would write your move down on a little piece of paper and you'd hand it to the referee. (laughs) And then the referee would read them out and he was in charge of moving things around the field. So he was like the game master, right? I like this because the implication is you could also play it you have to long distance by
0: correspondence like yep. chess. Yep. Yep. You would yep. write down what your little men are going to do my, my, and my. you send it by pigeon, possibly, to your opponent. And you both have a little game board set up with...
2: Well, and I mean, this is one of my... M- Macy's two, two citations of chess mm. corner. Uh, my favorite um, tiny, tiny details of Discworld is that Vetinari and Lady Margalotta have a long-running chess male chess game yeah. that they've been playing. And that is the extent of their romance. Yes. yes. is the fact that they have a chess game.
1: But <laughs> it's such a good character <laughs> note. It's very them. It and it's is. a relationship And it's so though.
2: them. And it tells you instantly how... Like, you, you know how unusual and how much veterinary must value this person if he is doing this mm-hmm,
1: to spend this much right. time on them
2: yeah he we'll spend this much time but also like
1: exposing his tactical thinking right right and like giving a window on what sort of thinking he does yes 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 um bef- but- just before we move on from the fun facts history games corner if you want to know more about this i have a non-fiction book recommendation which is playing the world a history of simulating wars people and fantastic adventures to <laughs> cool. uh, wars people and fantastic adventures from chess to role-playing games by john peterson it is a big chunk of a book look at this Look at this, dear listeners, look at this, I'm doing bad radio now.
2: (laughs) Amazing. But actually, when I said that I had two citations, I did in fact mean that I had two citations and that there would be a second one. Oh, wonderful. Um, Which is that when we were talking about the flirting and foreplay usage of games, Uh I got distracted trying to find the title of this one because I was remembering a vintage Harry Draco fanfic. Mm. Do either of you remember Checkmate? By whom by
1: nadi no in
2: which draco challenges harry to a secret game of dare chess in the seventh year and they slowly i guess fall for each other while trying to suborn each other while also like magically forcing each other to do stupid shit every time (laughs) they lose rivalry is
0: romance (laughs) The reason it works, <laughs> this kind of thing, as a romantic arc is because you can start with almost anything. You can be friends, right. you can yeah. be rivals, you can be outright enemies, because what you are doing is competing and attempting yes. to win. Mm. Ah, so good.
2: So good. I so love chess romance. Macy has a small taxonomy for pieces of media that are actually embedded in games Mm -hmm. or that games are embedded in them. And I posit, and I'd be interested in you guys' thoughts on this, that you can either have it embedded as in a game where the characters have a vocation or a draw to that game and the characters are choosing to play it. They've dedicated their lives to it. Mm -hmm. We see this in the chess. We see this in Go. Uh, We see this, I would argue, in, oh, fuck, the Yu-Gi-Oh!, Mm-hmm. but taxonomy half one is the game like that is almost the religion of the character yeah right it's their drive the second is game as a situation right you mm-hmm. can have a piece of media like battle royale like the hunger games um where you get trapped in a situation where you have to play this game or, or where you choose to play this game so someone else doesn't have to um And I was wondering if that maps to what you guys see or if you see any other ways to have an entire novel or an entire movie be about a game.
0: I think if it's central, then yes, I think you can have them incidental with a lot of the things that we talked about in the last taxonomy. Mm
1: -hmm. But if
0: it's central, then the entire thing has to be either building up to or showing a series of that game. You have to show the game being played.
1: Right. Because, Mm -hmm. because there's, it has to be crucially, if it's, if it's at the core of the narrative, it has to be crucially important in one way or another. And those two Mm -hmm. options are internal, i.e. emotionally, vocation, or externally, which is occurrence in like the event that's happening around. Mm.
0: And it does depend on what you want to do with that character. Like, what is the point Mm -hmm. of their attitude towards the game? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're right. Like the people who are in Jumanji, the people who are in the Hunger Games, they didn't have a choice. About right. this. It is a thing they have to do uh, and it is externally inflicted on them and it produces plot and it produces character development. Right. Mm-hmm. Whereas something like The Queen's Gambit or something where you're doing it, I'm doing it for the love of it, the pursuit of the game uh, is what catalyzes their character development. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They are actively mm-hmm. choosing it and that's what helps right. them to change.
2: And that's almost their virtue, right? They're expressing virtue through their dedication and Honorable behavior um, and leveling up,
0: Hmm. right? And look, and you can show it as a weakness as well. Like I think a lot of Hmm. the point of the Queen's Gambit, both series and fic is that because Beth is so dedicated to chess, she ends up becoming quite self-destructive. In some Mm -hmm. ways, it talks a lot about her addictions uh, with alcohol and um, and with pills, but it's all considered to be part of the pursuit. Like she is self-destructing in the name of this thing she loves. So it's not always a virtue i think they're showing the flip side of her love for the game and her determination to succeed against the odds is a virtue but her obsession is something that she also has to come to grips with in order to wrestle demons
1: right Mm. right Mm, because like to be the sort of person who can be like just wildly wildly good at chess you kind of do have to have an addictive obsessive personality and that can be as you say both a good thing and a very destructive thing
0: Mm. i think we enjoy watching it as narratives we like watching somebody who is that obsessive because for most of us that's not the kind of person that we are and we would find that exhausting to have all of our emotional eggs in that one basket and to have the freedom and ability and opportunity to throw ourselves so obsessively at one thing yeah it's something that we can live through a character in a very satisfying way because we know it's not actually feasible
1: And I think it sort of is for the same reason that we like romance novels, because like how often in real life do you get the opportunity to feel that intensely about about someone or something? Mm. Well, and I wonder also if particularly
2: tournament style games um, give us as writers an opportunity for repeat catharsis, Mm. because the game has to end and every game has to have an outcome. Again and again, almost like the detective solving this week's murder, Yeah, right? There, There is a release of tension at the resolution of the game, even if you lost it. Um, and this is then an engine that allows that to occur more than once. Mm. And it can happen in different ways and with different emotional stakes and ways that you feel about it so that it doesn't get repetitive. Mm. But it's still an interesting engine that's a little bit different to a lot of what standard fantasy uh, fiction uses Mm. yeah
0: and it's a way to be very concrete about reflections so a lot Mm. of books will deliberately set up an echo of here is something that happens and here's its outcome and then Mm -hmm. near the end of the book you have here's the same thing or a very similar thing happening and this time the outcome is different
1: Mm -hmm. and if Mm -hmm. you are
0: basing it on something like a game or a competition it is so outright obvious that we've played a game oh we lost this time and then oh and here's us and this time we won. And there's been a journey in between. And it's, it's simple, but it's very satisfying.
2: Yeah, yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, and here is Macy's uh, promised argument corner. Good. Are games sport? Yes. No. I didn't ask, is sport games? I asked, are games sport? Freya, yes. go on. Why no. not?
0: Okay. Okay. So I go by my internal definition, which is very annoyingly pedantically is more or less the dictionary <laughs> definition in that sport is an well activity. then fine <laughs> sport is an a, a, an activity which can be competitive but involves both physical exertion and skill and i think the reason why we are quite resistant to saying well this thing isn't a sport something like chess or you know the other other games that we, e-sports, that, League
2: of Legends, yeah,
0: e-sports and things, is because the word "game" has a lot of baggage around it that sure. that suggests something that is juvenile, it's pejorative. Yeah, it's yeah. pejorative and it's juvenile, yeah, and yeah. so it's very reasonable if you are very, very good at something, take it seriously, play it well. It is your passion. For someone to be like, "Oh, it's a game," it sounds like to someone feel, is putting it down, sure. and so it mm. is a semantic barrier to you feeling mm. like you're being taken seriously as a master of whatever it is that you do.
1: Mm-hmm. So
0: sports are games, but not all games and especially not board games are sports. And I don't think mm. you necessarily have to be competitive in a sport or a game either yeah. because like, let's say somebody works hard at figure skating, does a beautiful routine, never competes. It's right. taken skill and physical exertion. It's still a sport, but they're not competing at everyone playing a game of patience you know with a deck of cards with yourself is a game mm. but you're not competing with anybody else so yeah. for me competition is optional for both of them physical exertion creates a sport skill creates both of them
1: so here's my argument, which is okay. that, so so I think that, yes, games are sports. Um, I think that I would agree that not all games are sports, but thinking about chess or Go, those are definitely sports. Okay. Um, it's, a, it's a brain sport rather than a body sport. But the crucial thing that we often, like we as a society often overlook is that your brain is a part of your body and that it is actually physical exertion to use your brain that strongly like it uses energy and like you can exhaust yourself like in uh the hikaru no go drama for example during one of those big competitions you see one of the the competitors fall over in a faint because she has just exhausted herself playing chess so it very much or not chess playing go um so it very much still is a physical exertion thing
0: okay so in that case is scrabble a sport but snakes and ladders is not
1: Scrabble indeed could be a sport if it were played competitively because I agree that competition it is. It have... competition is a a part of the the definition. Well, so it has to okay. it, it requires training, it requires coaching, and it is done competitively in a context where a winner can be determined is what makes it a sport to me.
2: I think that um, physical exertion isn't necessarily quite the phrase that I would use mm-hmm. but physical motion has to be part of that exertion.
1: You are and also me using your. exhausting
2: your. Hand. your brain. Yes, but that's not what the competition is. The motion of your hand is not what is actually causing. Like that, that doesn't have any particular impact. Mm. You can win a Go tournament being terrible at placing the stones as long as you get them on the right place roughly right the the degree to like you will lose respect as Hikaru does mm-hmm. early on if you cannot hold your go stones correctly, mm. but you're not training the the way that you get better at go is not training to hold the stones perfectly and have them make the perfect click sound on exactly the right spot on the board. That would be training for a physical exertion mm. you're training in the tactical side it's like saying that and darling listeners, Macy is bad at American football. Um, no, that's not even accurate. Macy has no fucking clue how to play American football. But it would be like saying that the guy calling the plays is an athlete.
1: Now we're getting into a difference between athletes and... Uh, Sure, is doing a sport then. I will say that instead. I think Um, think that... Which he isn't, but he is
2: doing the brain thing exactly as a Go player is.
1: Mm. I think that chess and Go have both been considered sports... Uh, at various points in in their history so we may not actually have a definitive answer here no and the
0: thing is I I think the reason that they have been considered sports is so that they can be moved out of the kiddie corner and into the this is a serious pastime for serious adults corner right right right
2: well okay here's a different angle um what is the useful distinction between sports and games for narrative purposes because I feel like there is uh there is one right I think that there's more like of the physical training, the training montage, you know, the thing in Hercules in a sports
0: situation. Of the ones that we've, the narratives that we have discussed, there isn't that distinction.
1: And a game is more for entertainment Hmm. or diversion. I can see that. Uh, And that makes something
2: like juggling or figure skating more into potentially on the game side of things because it's a physical activity that you can do it's almost an art more than a sport yeah and it
1: comes down to context too because it depends on like why you as a person are doing it and in what context you're doing it
2: <laughs> darling listeners in conclusion in conclusion all words all are meaningless all words are words. Is art.
0: <laughs> everything is art or possibly sports or possibly a game
2: Listen, if I play my piano in a recital competition, I am an athlete. That's and a sport. that's all I'm saying. That's it's true. Not. Yeah, I'm, a competitive no, it's piano. No, it's not. Oh my God. <laughs> it is. So anyway, listen, piano darling is sport. listeners. If I was playing the fucking log toss of the Scottish Highland Games with a piano, that would be a sport.
1: Tchaikovsky okay,
2: can... is not a sport. It could no be a sport how many in the right context. I eat
1: like across the stage. It could be a sport in the right context. I'm ending the episode.
0: Hello, everybody. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Be the Serpent, a podcast of extremely, extremely deep literary merit. There's a fair amount of irony that it's me doing the outro this week, as I am famously not a board game person, despite the heroic efforts of many friendship groups to engage me in them. That said, I do really love them in books. I've had an image in my head that I've been trying to track down, it was of a riddle set out on a chessboard, which I knew was important in a book that I'd read as a kid, and I'd done a bit of research and worked out that it's an Australian book called The Grandfather Clock by Anthony Hill which is about a girl who becomes trapped in a clock and then has to solve puzzles and riddles to get out. I think that, plus the chess theme in Through the Looking Glass, meant that I was all for chess as a motif in books, long before I decided that chess the game was not for me. Anyway, for the next episode, two weeks hence, on June 16th, we're plunging into some heavy subject material, but with some absolutely fantastic tentpoles. We're looking at how societal stratification can be explored in Specfic. Multilayered cities, the districts and the capital, and at least one very fucked up train. So, if you've got any friends who might be into that, give them both a warning. Seriously, some of the shit we'll discuss is bleak. And a heads up. One of our temples is the book An Unkindness of Ghosts by Rivers Solomon. Questions? Comments? Breathless adulations? As ever, you can get in touch with us at serpentcast at gmail.com, and we're at SerpentCast on Twitter and Tumblr. Don't forget to send us any questions you have for the episode 90 extravaganza by June 18th. If you do enjoy the podcast and would like to support us, you can also find our Patreon at patreon.com slash serpentcast, or consider leaving us a rating and review on iTunes so we can continue to find new listeners. And by the way, you'd make someone an excellent rival.